Okay, folks. <laughs> Time to get started. Uh, today we have uh, Chris Dungeon. Uh, he's coming from the Water Conservation, uh, Water Conservation Program over at the Contra Costa Water District. And uh, I, uh, Chris is an alumni of our program. Uh, he and I were in a class together. So we graduated from landscape architecture back in the ancient times um, And Chris went to work uh, for a variety of different landscape architects after he graduated. Uh, worked in the area of pools, pools, water uh, features, and um, I worked for a variety of different landscape architects doing that kind of work. And then he moved in 1980 and 1994 into uh, this water conservation uh, work, which is kind of uh, you know a complement to your previous work, maybe uh, a little karma that you can make up for there. Um, so. Um, Without any further ado, I'll let uh, Chris take it over and introduce myself uh, further. I'm quite cut off. Thank you. Well, thank you guys for having me here. Um, yeah, like Steve said, I'm an alumni. Um, uh, 1987, we were going to save the world for creative design. Maybe. How many are here landscape architects? Cool. And, and the rest are maybe environmental design or something like that. Cool. So, um, what I want to talk about today is, uh, I work in water conservation, and I want to talk about water conservation statewide. I'm going to talk about the drought, fair amount, and then I want to talk about landscape and landscape water use, and how that sort of fits in, and where maybe you might want to go with your future careers. Um, oh, yeah, so back in 1987, um, we had some really, really forward-thinking people, very introspective people, someone on the great things. Um, yeah, so um, there he is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Um, Contra Costa Water District. So uh, anybody know Contra Costa Water? Okay, here you're cool. So we supply water um, to the cities of Concord and Clayton, Carter Walnut Creek, Pleasant Hill, Pacheco, Martinez, and then we kind of wholesale water to the cities of Antioch, Pittsburgh, Oakley, and Bayfield. Um, wherever you live, or wherever your parents live, it's a water district. It's either the local city, or it's a district like ours that kind of does a bigger area. In fact, um, there's about 400 plus big water districts that supply most of the water in California. Urban. I'm only talking urban today. There's a lot of real small ones as well. Uh, those 400 um, plus water suppliers provide water to about 38 million people. And it is a complicated stretch of pipes all over the state, and, and it's very politically um, active. Um, it's very political. Um, they deliver about 8.7 million acre feet per year. So I wanted to put that into something that we can relate to. And is the rectal still here? Okay. That's 5.7 million UC per year. And, and a little factoid, I, I found that I guess your rest pool is the largest free-form pool west of the Mississippi. <coughs> so huge amount of water is supplied urban um, every year. And then where does that water go? So kind of what sectors is it used in? 
the thing I want to highlight, so it goes to large landscape, it goes to residential, it goes to commercial, industry. Um, the two kind of shows up green, but large landscape, 90%, and residential landscape, 34%, uh, 43%. It's getting actually close to 50% of all of the urban water delivered goes to landscape. And urban water, it's not like we just pump it and deliver it. It's pumped, there's a lot of energy, there's a huge amount of treatment that goes on, there's storage. So there's a lot of effort and there's a lot of resources that go in. And then we take half of that, and then we make it to drinking water standards, and we take half of that water and we pour it on landscapes. And that's, that's going to be part of the whole talk on the house about um, how much goes into the landscape. So, like Steve said, I work for a water district, um, and you think if you've got a business class or you think business-wise, it seems contrary to the business that I would have a conservation program because we're in the business to sell water, right? We're really not in the business of sell water. I like to make a difference. We're not selling water, we're providing water service. And think of that as a different. Providing water service is very different than just selling. It's not like we're selling widgets or pencils or cell phones. And the more, the better. Um, water is a uh, natural resources, and it is not limitless. It is very limited. In fact, it's overtaxed in California. Um, if we added up all of the agencies in the state, including ag, and you allow them to have their full contract amount, it would be more than every river that comes into the delta combined, and then nothing less for the environment. So from a business standpoint, the water district looks at conservation as a future supply. So like pretend for a my agency, we have 100,000 acre feet that we have for a contract. Well, we know that the county is gonna grow in the future, and we need to get new sources for that. So we can tap Zuma River, we could, we could get water from another agency, or we could conserve that one over time and the development gets used by the conserved water. So, from a business standpoint, that's what conservation is, is it's a huge water supply. Um, some of the common programs we've had, um, agencies up and down the state have these, uh, we do water audits, we'll go to people's homes or businesses and evaluate their water use for free. Um, we have rebates for a lot of fixtures, uh, clothes washers, toilets, um, and a lot of commercial devices. We have public education programs, and one kind of interesting thing, water agencies work with market transformation. So, um, any of your families ever get a toilet rebate? Anybody? <coughs> Don't know if you have a toilet rebate? Well, toilets, I've dealt with toilets for a long time, which is kind of a sad thing to put on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but toilets, back way back in the day were all five gallon toilets. Then in the 80s, the plumbing code changed and they're all three and a half gallon. Then in the 90s, early 90s, they switched to 1.6 gallons. And about 10 years ago, a new toilet came around, a 1.28, and I think that's like some even numbered liters, but I can't do the conversion. Um, so agencies up and down the state started rebating these 1.28 toilets to the point where Home Depot and everywhere was selling them. And then somebody went to a legislator and said, hey, why don't you require 1.28 gallon toilets to be the only toilet in California? And that's what happened. And that's kind of what I refer to as market transformation. We prime the pump with getting these good, efficient toilets out there. Um, people buy them, people love them. 
Uh, nobody loves them, but they like them. And, uh, and then some legislature comes along and says, hey, I'm going to do a green thing, and I'm going to require it. So in California, the only toilet you can buy is 1.3. And I give a lot of credit to agencies up and down the state that sort of got that thing started. Um, another great conservation program is water rates. So if you get a water bill, anyone live in Sacramento or grew up in Sacramento? Okay, so you may not have had a meter growing up. So you might have used all the water you want for a flat rate, but Sacramento is changing quickly and they're metering all their properties. So most properties now meter their water use, so you pay for the volume you use. And it kind of makes sense, so if you pay $3 per unit of water, if I save, I'm going to save $3. So by, by setting your, your, your water rate to encourage people to conserve is a really great way to do it. And in fact, some agencies do what's called tiered rates. So say your household uses 500 gallons a day, you pay $3 a unit for that. But if you use over that, you know, you've got huge landscapes, you might pay $8 a unit for that extra water. So if the tiered rates is a great way to promote efficiency, especially in landscape water, because that's typically that, that when customers are using a whole lot, it's typically outdoor water use that's using it up. The final list here is smart metering. Um, so most water meters for water districts, we've got a guy that walks along, he lifts the lid every 60 days, and reads the meter and puts it into a little computer, and we put it in the big computer at the office, and we build a customer. So they're now making water meters where it just transmits the data um, like every minute to the district. So you as a customer can log on to your portal, like you have portals for a lot of stuff, Verizon or whatever, and you can go in and see your water use. You can see a graph that has 12 bars for your 12 months that you use. Click on one of those, and you can see every day of that month how much you use. You click on one day, and you can see every hour. So it's a great way to know where the heck you're using water and how much you're using. And agencies that have that will get customers to call in and say, you gave me a bill and I, you said I'm using 1,000 gallons a day, there's no way. And you, you go into that and you say, wow, every day at 3 a.m. you have this spike. And they go out and look at their sprinkler timer and sure enough, it's set at 3 a.m. Um, so smart meters is totally the future. If you've got a sort of, if you lean to high tech, it's, it's a really neat um, industry right now to get into. Um, so in the last 10 years, all that stuff was sort of indoor related. We've been pushing up a lot more landscape related <coughs> conservation. Um, does anybody know the term evapotranspiration? One on the back. Okay, so you can create a water budget for a landscape. So pick one of the big ball fields here. So say you've got an acre of turf grass. I can predict fairly accurately how much water that lawn needs simply by the square footage and using one of these weather stations called a SIMA station, um, and it measures um, a bunch of things. It measures solar radiation, air temperature, soil temperature, humidity, and it puts them into this big equation, which I think is called the, the Penman-Monteith equation. I, think I use that at cocktail parties. I that all the time. It's great. Um, and it spits out, you can get this, if you look up Simmons, and you can find it's a series of weather stations all over the state, and uh, you can see what the ET was for any day, or any week, or any month, and it'll tell you how much um, turf grass needs. And then for other crops, like almonds, or landscapes, 
you can use a, a multiplying factor to figure out the volume of water. So if you know the area, you know the depth. For example, like turf grass uses about four feet of water a year. So if you had an acre, it was four feet, that would use four acre feet per year. Whereas if you were growing an acre of manzanita, it might be maybe four inches times an acre. So it'd be you know, a third of an acre, uh, acre uh, foot. So it's a great tool to use to help manage landscape water. Um, agencies have done landscape water audits where we evaluate. That's what I did when I first started there. I'll go out and work with landscapers to evaluate how inefficiently they're irrigating or how efficiently. Um, and in your own hometowns, you probably see water running down the gutter all the time. And that's, that's just not being efficient. But when water's cheap, it's hard to press people to be more efficient. Um, we've all been giving irrigation rebates for cool sprinkler nozzles like this nozzle here. Um, most landscapes you see, smaller ones, you'll see the pop-up spray heads, you know, the ones that just have a thick spray, kind of you probably have in your lawns. These new empty <coughs> rotators are really the bomb now, and um, a lot of landscapers are switching to those. They're a lot more efficient. Um, we provide a lot of landscape education. That's just really statewide. In Southern California, they've got a really big program going. And then smart timers. Um, so anybody work their sprinkler timer at home? Somebody's got it. You all have sprinkler timers at home? Your parents? Okay. So typically you walk up to those things and you say, oh, okay, station one, long, 10 minutes. Station two, long, hmm, 10 minutes. And they're pretty basic. Um, smart timers, you set them a little differently. Station one, and it says, what are you watering? You say, long. What type of long? Cool season grass. And then it says, What's the microclimate? Sunny all day, sunny part of the day, shady part of the day, you know, it gives you some options. Is there a slope? And it gives you options for slope. What's the soil type? And then it asks you, you go through all the stations, then it says, what's your zip code? And it connects it back to one of those SIMA stations, a local weather station. So that controller, like this one here, will automatically reset every day based on the prior day's weather. So it's really, really cool. And I was just at a conference last week, and these big irrigation manufacturers are going to be taken over by the high-tech industry, I think. I, I saw a timer that's kind of new on the market. You can see it at Home Depot called uh, RACHO, R-A-I-C-H-O. Not designed by an irrigation company. It's designed by a couple of hipsters from uh, uh, Silicon Valley. And I think it's... You look at the clock and there's nothing except the wires for the, the ballast. And everything is on the smartphone. You know. And I've got an old iPhone 4 or whatever. And he's like laughing at me. Because, and he says, it's all here. And you set everything there. You can be on vacation and reset it. Um, it'll track water use if you plug in the flow rate. And uh, I gave him a suggestion. You know, Hey, could you do the flow rate this way? In my experience, he was like, he looks at his buddy and goes, yeah, we can do that. I mean, it's that easy. So I think we're going to see a major shift in sprinkler timers to these, um, you know, cell phones have everything. So it's, it's really a cool shift in the industry. All right, a little bit on the drought. Hands up if you think we're not in a drought. Okay, good. All right. All right. Um, so we're in the most severe drought we've been in in, in, in 100 years. Um, you can see where it's red here, that's the most severe part, you know, up in the northwest of the state, not quite as bad, but it's still considered severe as opposed to exceptional. 
Um, that's Lake Orville, one of the biggest uh, reservoirs in the state. And down here is uh, August of 2014. I mean, it's crazy, right? Um, this graph doesn't show real well, but um, this shows several big droughts we've had. So in 1977, we had a big drought. We had 25%. I'm sorry, this is snowpack. So this is how much snowpack we've had. So you can see this line here. The prior year in 1977, it was low, and then it was even lower in 77. So we had 25% of the normal snowpack, and that caused a big drought. In 88, we had kind of a similar thing. But check out 2015. We have 5% of the normal snowpack. The prior year was probably 25, and even the two years before that were low. That's that progression of lacking snowpack is really what's made this drought so bad. Um, this this image shows um, the snowpack from uh, 2013 versus 14 from a satellite. So this is uh, Lake Tahoe right there, and uh, there was nothing. And this year was not much better. So why is snowpack important? So when you think of a reservoir, you might think the smallest reservoir might be a tank on a hill near your house that that tank or reservoir holds water until you guys need it in your, in your maybe neighborhood. Then a bigger reservoir might be a lake. So that lake is what supplies your whole water district and it comes downhill and maybe gets treated and then fills those tanks. The biggest reservoir we have for water supply in California is the snowpack in the Sierra Nevadas. So it all depends on, a drought is defined as um, you don't have as much water as you, you need. So in Contra Costa County, all of our water we take, <coughs> out, we take out of the Delta. And water in the Delta comes from rivers. Sacramento River is one main one, San Joaquin is another one, and all the other smaller rivers pretty much flow into those. So that water all comes from snowpack and melts. So in the winter, we get a great snowpack like that, and then it holds it all winter long, and then in the spring and summer, it slowly lets it out. And it's, it's you know, a, a nature's way of creating the best reservoir ever. Um, but when we don't have it, like that previous slide shows, um, a lot of this water then goes into these, we're not building dams anymore, thank God, but we have some and they keep them in these giant reservoirs here, you know, you saw the pictures before, are nearly empty um, because we don't have that snowpack. Um, another picture I just want to show a few more Folsom's Reservoir, you know, it's, it's, they can't even pump out of there at that time. Um, and the last one on the, on the reservoirs. Shasta right now, or about a month ago, was at 59% of average Folsom and Orville. 32 and 48. So these are like three of the biggest reservoirs for state water. So likely if you live um, anywhere in the state, some of your water is being held in those. And, uh, so how did this drought, so now I'm going to talk about the politics of the drought. Um, when the governor gets involved, everything goes to hell. Um, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> so in January 14, uh, a drought was declared, emergency drought was declared. And then as we move forward, let's jump all the way, all the way to April of 2015. That's when it really hit like DEFCON 2. It was really bad. And the governor said, we're in a serious drought emergency. He had an executive order that said, we, the state of California, will cut our water demand by 25%. So he made this edict. 
And um, it's amazing how one man standing next to governor in the middle there, that's supposed to be a snow survey where they see how many feet of snow there is, and there was no snow. So they're just standing there, it's kind of odd. Um, yeah. Um, definitely a photo op. So he made this edict, and that edict goes to a department of the state called the State Water Resources Control Board. They said, okay, we're going to cut 25%. Every one of those 400 big agencies, on average, we're going to get 25, but we're not going to hit you all. We're going to kind of, depending upon how low or how high your water use was, we're going to cut you. So I put a few representative cities here. City Davis was asked to cut 24%. Um, my agency, Contra Costa, was asked to cut 28 um, San Francisco, only 8%. Anybody take a guess as to why they were only asked to cut a little bit? They don't have any landscaping. Landscaping, yeah. And high-density housing and on the coast. So it's like you get the trifecta. You, if you're on the coast, your use is probably a little lower. If you have high-density, by the way, these were based on per capita, so high-density is lower. Um, yeah, so they, they can't save as much as some of the other ones. And Beverly Hills is just amazing at 32. Um, Make it higher. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that the state board required was they had some water use restrictions. Um, some of them are kind of like mundane and not that big a deal, but the first one, they said, you shall not water, remember this was back in April, you shall not water more than two days a week. If any of you live in the valley, that's a tough call to water along two days a week and have it live. Some agencies adopted that two days a week, some said three. Um, but pretty much statewide, you're seeing two-day week maximum watering. Um, they said no watering during the day. That's kind of a duh. Um, no watering uh, during rainfall. Uh, that was a really big, you know, nothing like stepping out there, right, and making a, um, making a big uh, requirement. No washing pavements. Um, the fifth bullet point there, though, no watering turf grass and street medians. So they were basically selling every one of these cities, you shall not have turf grass in your medians. And you guys ever been to the Capitol? You know, as you drive and you're seeing it in front of you, there's this giant median and it's all long. And that's, I think, completely dead at this point. And I'd say they're probably gonna be replacing it with water-wise plants. So um, I think that's gonna be a tangible change forever that we're gonna see um, in the state. So, here we are now, getting all the way, I think my data is through August. So they made this requirement. So here's the, you see the reduction goal in the same cities and where they are at the end of August. So City Davis doing great at 31% cumulative savings. Um, Contra Costa Water, yeah, we're at the top of the chart because I made the chart, so I made us the best. <laughs> um, we've cut 40%. Um, let's, let's jump, so San Francisco doing really well, double their goal. Let's go to Beverly Hills. Ah, gosh, they didn't even make their goal. How do we get so, uh, <laughs> so the state did threaten if you don't meet your goal by the end of February, they're going to fine you $10,000 a day or something. So I'm kind of hoping Beverly Hills gets this. <laughs> that, would just, that would just be fun. Um, there was one guy caught stealing, some guy from Beverly Hills. Some Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck, yeah. Stealing water. Yeah. Uh, that was great. That, That's ridiculous. All of that news. And actually, so how did I get 40%? It's no way is that from me sending out postcards to people saying, please cut. It was this massive, it was in the papers, as you recall, from April all the way through. Every day there was something new. Tom Selleck thing even brought it up even more. So um, 
I'm, I'm actually really impressed with my customers who really left, they suffered a lot and left all the moms die. Um, this is my agency. I want to show you this curve because it's, I think, really powerful. So this is 52,000, the average of 52,000 single family homes in Contra Costa. Uh, so up here is the gallons per day per house, and these are the months going over. So follow the blue line, average year, it's actually the average of 2005, 6, and 7. Um, around 200 gallons a day is the winter use, and you see that curve come all the way up close to 600, like 590, and then back down. That bell-shaped curve, if you ever look at an evapotranspiration curve for a year, look at it for days, you'll see that same curve. Um, so, you know, from here, from zero up to here, that's indoor use. And everything else up to that blue line is landscape. And not only is it a big volume of water, like in my service area, it's probably a little over half. It's peak demand. So imagine if we didn't have to deliver that peak demand, our pipes could be smaller, our treatment plant could be smaller, our reservoir might be smaller. So that's one of those great benefits from conservation, not just saving the water, but your whole infrastructure is designed to meet that peak day up in you know, July, August. Now look at the black line, that's this year. Clearly people have let the lawns go. I mean, it's, it's hardly a blip. Um, and we're probably gonna see it just kind of taper back down. So all of that difference you know, is landscape reduction and some indoor reduction as well. Um, I don't think we want to be where this black line is. That means we have likely landscapes. But maybe where the red or the yellow one, 2013, 14, there's some efficiency in it. We can get a lot of savings and still have beautiful landscapes. Um, this drought has totally supercharged um, landscape conservation in the state. Um, throughout the state, um, in the SAC area, they've developed this thing called river-friendly landscaping principles. Um, in the Bay Area, they have bay-friendly landscaping. And down in SoCal, they had to, you know, they were always better than us, so they had to have California-friendly. Um, all of them are essentially saying um, sustainable landscape. And, it, and they go to the, ex not extreme, but use less water, plant natives or plant drought-tolerant plants, use mulch, um, <coughs> use irrigation that doesn't result in any runoff. Uh, harvest rainwater if you can. Use gray water if you can. Improve your soil. All those things together um, create beautiful landscapes that use very little water. Um, this acronym here, CUWCC, that is a group, California Urban Water Conservation Council. It's a group that I was associated with for years, or still am. And it's water agencies up and down the state and a bunch of environmental groups. And they have developed um, sort of a sustainable landscape vision, similar to what I just mentioned to the friendly group. Um, and in all of my years in landscaping, going back to my college days, I've never seen a shift in attitude, the right shift, um, towards sustainable landscape. And you guys are coming into this right at that time, and I think it's really powerful, and I see it as what we refer to as a, is the new norm. If you ask your parents, hey, what's a front yard look like? Tell me in 30 seconds. They're gonna probably say, oh, it's a lawn and maybe three birch trees and a hedge and some flowers. We want, by the time you're my age, to ask that question and have the answer be, that could be a mix of shrubs and perennials, and you could have a couple oak trees, and we don't want the answer to be long, 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 and high, music, high water using plants. Um, 
Other things that have been happening, sheet mulching workshops where people get rid of lawns by just mulching on top of them. Um, there's native garden tours. If you're in the Bay Area, there's one called the Bringing Back the Native Garden Tour. Um, it's a huge one, and it's, uh, it, it, I think last year it had 6,000 people attend, so it's really great. Um, manufacturers are improving drip irrigation and overhead irrigation all the time. Um, they want to stay in business, and uh, this drought has not been bad for landscaping. In fact, it's been good because people are switching over, and the industry is just eating it up. So there's you know more plants being sold, better drip irrigation. Um, and then lawn to garden rebates. I'll skip on landscape design at this point, but lawn to garden rebates. Um, this is like the cornerstone, I think, of this movement. Water districts throughout the state, mine included, are offering rebates, but we will pay you, but we don't do toilet rebates anymore. So that's, this is what I love about my career is I've left 15 years of toilets, and now I'm shifting back to landscape, which is a great way to kind of tie it back to what I studied. Um, we're providing rebates for people to replace their lawns with drought tolerant plants. Um, rebates range from 50 cents a square foot to, to $4, we give a dollar. Um, and you can get like up to a thousand bucks to replace your front lawn. Um, the goal is promoting water-wise landscapes and efficient irrigation. Um, I would say whatever towns you guys are from, find your water utility, go to the website, and probably have a rebate. Convince your parents, participate. And if they do it now, the state just came out with $26 million. Again, the governor decided that's where we're going to use it. $26 million to fund a lawn and garden rebate program statewide. So if you're, say, in my service area, I'm going to give you a dollar a foot, the state will give you a dollar. You get 2000 bucks to replace a big front lawn. Um, you know, if you do it yourself, that can almost pay for it. So um, I think that's part of what's really helping this big shift towards sustainable landscaping. I just threw this in. This is my program. These are people applications requested. So in 2012, calendar year 12, that's the first little blue one. I sent out 400 plus applications the year after that, a little less than that, 387. We started getting into the drought in 14, I sent out 1,300. And so far through, did I include September? Yeah. Through September, I've sent out more than 3,000 applications. And that's a tenfold increase over 13. So um, that's kind of the trend, and that's happening statewide. That program's not unique. In fact, statewide, um, last year, in SoCal, did a lot of this, 55 million square feet was replaced, lawns replaced with water-wise landscaping, um, compared to 16 million for the five years prior to that. And that's huge. Um, so I again had to put it in something you can relate to. Um, and I've never been here, but I understand it's very nice. Uh, that's 955 football fields. Right. Yeah. So that's a huge amount of turf grass that uses a huge amount of water. So what's next? Um, hopefully what I've shown you here, you know, you get the idea landscape water use is a key component of water conservation in California. Um, if we go into further drought, landscape is the thing they're going to point out. It's the first thing to go. And if that's what we love and that's what we want to do, we have to find a way to make that landscape be as efficient as possible so it doesn't get fully cut. Um, the state um, recently, for new development, if you're, if you're designing a new landscape in California today, you have to meet the state model water conservation ordinance. 
and they have this, you'll have to know ETO and all that because you'll have to design within a water budget that the state prescribes. And that um, ordinance the state designed um, 20 years ago, it gave you this much water. About eight years ago, they gave you this much water. They just lowered it again. So most landscapes in California, if you're doing it for a big developer, say a property, you're likely not going to be able to use root grass unless um, you show it's really efficient. Um, so that's a big improvement. I think that's a big improvement. Um, and then the state board is probably going to have some permanent requirements on conservation, uh, specifically landscape, I think, coming. So, sort of in conclusion here, um, if, if landscapes keep getting cut, the water for landscapes keep getting cut, we can have this, and, and we probably see this in our neighborhoods. We don't want that long term. It's ugly, it does nothing for the environment, and it kills your property value. Um, but what we really don't want is, unless anybody here thinks that's good looking, I don't want to insult you, but um, <laughs> we don't want that. We don't want AstroTurf, we don't want ugly lava rock, we want beautiful landscapes. And, the industry I'm in is growing all the time, and, and I'd encourage you guys to get into design, and if you want to get into the water conservation field, it's only going to be growing for people who understand soil and water relationships, plants, uh, uh, irrigation, um, and, and all of that. And a lot of the colleagues I have up and down the state come from environmental studies background, not too many landscape architects. I'm one of like two or three. And I think it's, I think we bring something to it that um, a lot of these other people don't. And so I encourage you to consider it as a, as a profession. Um, and it can be anything from working for a water district to being a designer and maybe getting hired by a water district. I started a program with my lawn and garden. Um, customers were getting the rebates, but they said, ah, I don't know what to do. I guess I could go to Home Depot, they'll help me. <laughs> so so I, I came up with an idea, and I, I got some landscape designers in the area, and I said, would you be willing to do a two-hour consultation for a flat fee? And they're like, yeah. So I've got 15 landscape designers, a few landscape architects, on my website. And if you're in my program, you call one of them, they'll come give you a two-hour design consultation for 150 bucks. You, the customer, pay them. They give you the service. A lot of them are doing a full sketch and a plant list in that two hours. And some are just you know, giving them sort of ideas. Some get hired for more hours to do more work. And then when the customer finishes, finishes their conversion project, I give them the rebate, plus I reimburse them the 150 bucks. And uh, I got one designer that has made 15 grand in the last year just on these little projects. So I'm encouraging other agencies to do it. I'm actually going to talk to Steve about maybe coming up with if you guys want to do summer projects, you want to be on a list, um, maybe I could get other water agencies to, you'd have a list of saying, hey, we will design landscapes for turf conversion, and whatever city you go back to in the summer, if they have a program, we get them the link to it. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to work, we'll see if we can do something there. Um, and with that, I think I'm finished. So, Someone's going to have questions. If you don't have questions, I'm going to ask you. So, um, come on. <coughs> um, so going back a little bit in the lecture, you said um, the mandate's only water the curve two days a week. Does that apply for athletic fields? No. So they gave some variances for athletic fields, for okay. sure. Yeah. Yeah, good question. And some agencies adopted their own that said three, 
the state sort of said, well, if you have your own ordinance that says three, it's okay. So some did that. But athletic fields, they can get a sort of area for. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Any others? Southern California. 
Um, they have water rights. They, they, they have a lot of Colorado River water. They've lost a lot of that. They have Delta water rights through the state water project. That gets upset every time um, there is um, a salmon issue or a Delta smelt issue. So they might get curtailed. Um, and they have groundwater. And so they take all of their water and um, sell it to all of their retailers. And some of them, even in San Diego, they sell it to a, another wholesaler, San Diego County Water, who then sells it to the city of San Diego. So they keep adding price to it. Um, San Diego County Water Authority and Metropolitan are not friends. And San Diego's trying to get completely separate from them. Um, of course, Net doesn't like that because that's one of their biggest customers. And then you've all maybe seen the movie, maybe you have Chinatown. It's about um, the Owens, uh, Owens Lake, anyway, and Los Angeles getting water from the Eastern Sierras. And how, so it was kind of cool, but how they bought up all the properties, bought up the water rights. Well, a bunch of college kids from UC Berkeley got together with their professor and spent maybe a dozen years to stop it. And so that water, those creeks are still now running back into Mona Lake like they, you know. <coughs> um, have you heard of the um, twin tunnels, the, the, uh, um, mm -hmm. taking water around the delta or under the delta, or maybe the term peripheral canal? So when Steve and I were your age, it was called the peripheral canal. And Southern California, very powerful, doesn't want to take water out of the delta because there's politics involved in fish and we don't want to deal with that. So let's do a canal around the delta. We'll tap into the Sacramento River, go around the delta, and then we don't have to mess with that delta stuff. Well, it's kind of a duh. If you take out half of the fresh water coming in, the salt water is going to kill the delta. So that got stopped way back in the 70s. They've repackaged it and calling it the Twin Tunnels. Um, uh, um, the Bay Delta Advisory Committee, I think it's called. Um, vote no. <laughs> I didn't say that. Um, uh, but it's, it's a, to me, just a power grab. And um, uh, the people that are going to suffer are the farmers in the Delta who grow a lot of great crops. Um, my district's probably going to suffer. Um, but it's political, again, like I said. So um, um, water's fun. Water's fun. The politics part of it is fun. Um, running a business, my general manager said, look, if you want to be in a business where your supplies guaranteed and your sales are guaranteed. Don't get into the water business, you know, because both of those fluctuate every year for us. So, but it's a, it's exciting. It's a nice nice feel. Any other tip? So, how long do you foresee these landscape rebate programs lasting? Because obviously the state and the counties can't afford to forever keep paying this money. So the state's mm -hmm. going to run out probably in a year. Um, they got just one chunk of money, so I'm like, um, I'm advertising their rebate. And my, I got people at BART stations today handing out cards because I figure if my customers can get state money, that's good for me. You know, so um, our program it'll be around a while. I would say what you'll see is we give a dollar square foot. I think it's a reasonable kind of a sweet spot for a rebate. Um, again. Not to knock Southern California, but Metropolitan was giving two dollars a square foot, and then one of their retailers was giving another one or two. So it got so expensive, so rich. Um, there's a company called Look 'em Up Turf Terminators. 
They said, hey, we'll do it for the rebate. And they just come in, they tell you, you want A, B, or C landscape. It's like, it's like landscape design. It's like your whole degree, but they did it in three pictures. I mean, why go to school when you can do that? And they'll give you A, and if you want A, do you want jumbo rocks or little rocks? And do you want decomposed granite or mulch? And you pick and choose, and they come in, and they rip everything out, and throw everything in, and you just sign your rebate over to them. Um, Metropolitan ran out of money. They spent in excess of $300 million in the last couple of years, and now they're done. So I think they blew it. I think if we all stayed at a dollar a square foot, we can kind of, at some point I may lower it. Um, um, or if we want to keep going, we might raise it for a few years, like the Southern Nevada Water Authority supplies all of Las Vegas and the surrounding area. Um, and their whole water supply plan is based on eliminating turf. Because it's kind of weird to think about, but all their indoor water goes into the sanitary sewer, right? And it gets cleaned. And it gets pumped after it's cleaned real well, goes back into the Colorado River. Southern Nevada water gets credit for that as a supply in the river. So they have no incentive to save indoor water. They have an incentive to clean it well and put it in. But landscape doesn't go back to the river. So they're buying up lawns, and they have a $10 million a year um, uh, uh, budget. And I mean, it makes my budget look puny. <coughs> they've been doing it for more than a dozen years. And they just increased their, theirs, actually. So, but I think they'll be around for a while. At least I know ours will. Yeah, the reason I asked is I actually worked for Solano County's program. Oh, um, Andy Florinda. Yeah. yeah nice. And we're pretty much out of money at this point, so we're kind of waiting to get more from the board, but um, it's slowing down. So it also depends on your board. So I have a board that loves the program. Um, they're like, you need more money? Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so you're right, though. I think you got to find that balance. I, I think the rebates need to be coupled with the education um, and uh, um, yeah Andy told me he had a few a few years ago he had some students and yeah. they were really good yeah. um, so I I think the education component needs to go with it because homeowners with a brand new landscape they kind of need to know how to um, maintain it mm -hmm. um, I had this thought about creating like a Facebook group where I would invite them all and have some of my designers so that questions and answers could be Unless Facebook is not good anymore. Yeah. to have their lawn back later. Um, I, I, I'm okay with it, but it's not a long-term solution. Um, what's definitely not a long-term solution is artificial grass, and boy, those companies, so again, I keep nailing Southern California, but <laughs> they keep, they, they rebate. And I'm like, look, it's a petroleum-based product that you're throwing into your landscape that doesn't pull off uh, carbon out of the air, it doesn't put oxygen, it heats, 
um, and eventually it's landfill. So most agencies in the area do not allow it. I know Solana does not. Ours, we didn't explicitly say you couldn't, but we have a requirement for the number of plants, and so nobody has done it. Um, yeah, I don't want my legacy in landscape, you know, my program to be, oh wow, look at how many fake lawns were put in. <laughs> and it's hard to tell a homeowner that it's hideous, you know, because you can't like, but I do sometimes, so. So you started off the talk saying that uh, water conservation is a, a new water supply. It's a new source of It's like having a new dam and a chunk of water to work with. And so the question is, we've seen over the last two years this trend towards, you know, building your lawn, but not everyone is doing it. No, it's not 100% by a long shot. And so I was curious if you have sort of a thought about uh, what percentage has done that so far and what percentage can we expect if the next year is a, yeah. is a bad drought? So, um, so when I say conservation is a supply, in our planning, we plan out 50 years of country custom. And we know that my program is going to save a small amount over a 50-year period. I'm going to save 15,000 feet. So it's a little bit at a time. What we've seen in the last few years is a huge amount in a short amount of time. So I don't, they're not the same. My, my program normally is what I call a water use efficiency program. It's incrementally take a little bites of the apple and reduce it. What we've seen happen, like that one curve, you saw that black line was really flat. People are, I'll call it suffering. They're getting the quality of life, they're living in the taking buckets in the shower, whatever. Um, we even have 2,500 people signed up to drive to the sewer company, get recycled water in a bin, in a bucket in the back of their truck, and drive it home in water. And um, don't do the math on all the gas and all that. But they're doing because they say it's the right thing to do, and I want my front yard to look nice. So I think we're going to see, if next year's dry again, we're just going to see this flatness stay or even go lower. Um, it's not a great time to completely re-landscape. If we see it getting wet again, um, I'm hoping that people who have a dead lawn, they have a project in their future. They can go this way or they can go this way. And I'm hoping to get them to go this way. Um, to uh, do the right thing. Water is going to go back to the long and I think we're going to see the water just come back up, but hopefully not to where it was. Yeah. Good question there. Oh, okay. um, I have oh, a yeah. quick one. Um, some areas, they're really encouraging those tech basins for rainwater. Yeah. For yeah. property. But I think some communities outlawing that, like not wanting to use that. Can they do that? I think they, the reason they wanted to do that is they they consider that their water supply, and they going to the gutter, going to the stream, goes to where they're going to be basically using it. That's how one of the community 